people and to apply it. And so this matter of the home and the family is a major, major concern. Uh, Pastor Todd this morning mentioned Lot. And what he didn't say at the end of that story was this. Had Lot impacted his own family, God would not have destroyed Sodom. Think about that. Uh, Also, when God was going to destroy Sodom, they sent an angel to tell them to leave. And his sons, Lot, Lot came to them and said, God's going to destroy the city. They did not believe him. And they were all destroyed. Uh, the choices you make, the choice to go to Sodom, uh, the choice to accept the lifestyle that they found, and then to lose his family. I mean, all those things were a result of a choice of a father. And those choices make a big difference. And so we're going to explore this matter of choices, the matter of our marriages, the marriage of our children, uh, the home. Uh, we're going to talk uh, two, three weeks from now on a beautiful woman and a gentle man. We're going to talk the next week about uh, harmony in the home. We're going to talk about raising children. We're going to talk about discipline of children. We're going to talk about all these things, God willing, this summer. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to do that and to have the summer to do it, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, Culture affects lives. Uh, One of the things that preaching should do is to correct the errors that culture teaches you. Uh, the first time I was, I was in Ghana with uh, Timothy Sedu uh, to preach, uh, he, we had a pastor's meeting. Uh, I would suppose probably 150, 200 pastors were there. A great opportunity, tremendous privilege. I, I enjoy preaching to that group of men over a couple of days. It was a wonderful opportunity. So as, as we gathered together, I preached the message and uh, my wife uh, taught the ladies. If you ladies remember, you sent scarves to the ladies. That was a sight to behold, let me tell you. But if, here's the thing I saw. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. As we were there, we were talking with the missionary. Nancy Ball was there, a missionary that was, had been there for many years. And of course, Timothy Sadu is a national who was there and is still there. And uh, we found out that the men uh, had motorcycles and cars and they drove there and got there on their own. What we also found out was the ladies, if they came, they had to walk. Or they had to get, catch a ride on a vegetable truck. The men did not bring their wives. Matter of fact, Nancy said there had never been a ladies' meeting in a Baptist group in, that, in Wa, in Ghana, ever. Now, what had happened? Ghana, the, 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 the area of Wa in Ghana had been a a Muslim area. And those men had grown up in a Muslim community, a Muslim culture. Although they were pastors, although every week they stood in the pulpit and preached the word of God. Uh, And by the way, at my relation with them as I preached and they asked questions were good. But this matter of the family and the home, they had been totally, totally impacted by the Muslim culture. So that the women were not treated as God instructed men to treat their wives. Now, we say that's a terrible thing, and it is. And it was, it was embarrassing to us. However, America has impacted the culture of our marriages and our homes. Uh, we have accepted the mores of the, of the culture. We've listened to the voices that try to convince us of things. 
And so the purpose of the preacher is to correct the culture by the word of God. Not to tell you what I think, but to tell you what God's word says. And so we're going to talk about marriage from the biblical perspective. The second thing I want to do during this time, and I've been given several weeks to do this, is to teach and encourage Bible study. It occurred to me as I was preparing this and thinking about it, many Christians live their entire life, now listen carefully to what I'm going to say, have never studied the Bible. Now, they've read it, they've heard it preached, but they themselves have never studied it. Uh, it is an amazing thing what happens when you see the Word of God and you begin to understand the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is teaching you as you study it for yourself. So therefore, you just got a study sheet. This is for next week's lesson. Each week, at the end of the, uh, every, each week, you will get a study sheet for the next lesson. So, and by the way, the passage of Scripture is there. It's never very long. So I, I'm asking each of you to read the passage, uh, to answer the questions, to, to really study, to find out what the answers to the questions are. And I'm going to grade all your papers, and I'm going to post it. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you, no one, as far as I know, no one will ever see your answers. But the study part is the part that will help you. Just to take those few questions and read the scriptures and come up with the answers. Uh, tonight, I'll kind of show you how that works. We'll talk about that some during the message. Um, also, you need to do this. You'll see it tonight in the message. You need to ask questions. Like, why? Uh, have you ever asked the question, why God made Eve out of a rib and not out of dirt? That's a good question, right? Uh, you know, those kind of things, as you read them, you say, well, why? Now, sometimes you, they're imponderable. Sometimes you don't just say, I don't know why. But I, I didn't know this. God is wise. God didn't make mistakes. So I can, go, I can start at that basis. But to ask yourself the question, why? Why is this this way? Why was it this way? And those are the things that will help you learn. Now, our Lord told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is, is the beginning place of Christian doctrine. It is the, the, the elementary school of biblical living. And there are three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of that section of Scripture where he lays out many of the concepts that we believe as Bible believers, he tells two stories. And they're very significant because it kind of summarizes how we should look at this truth. One was a story of two roads. There was a broad road and there was a narrow road. And the broad road led to destruction. And the narrow road leads to life. And everyone will choose a road. Now, that is not salvation. The passage, if you read the passage, Matthew 5 to 7 was not written to sinners. It was written to believers. So every believer is going to choose a road. The narrow road is the road that is somewhat restrictive. Not as many people take the narrow road. Uh, it's sometimes lonely on the narrow road, but the narrow road leads to life. But don't forget this. The broad road, which is easy, which is popular, which most people take, always leads to destruction. Always does. But tonight, for our purposes, he told a second story. He told a story about two men who built houses. And he said that one man built his house and he built it on the sand. And the other man built his house on the rock. 
and the winds and the rain came and the house that was built on the sand collapsed. But the house that was built on the rock stood and he gave the answer. He said, now those who house collapsed, now listen, they were the ones who had heard the word, but did not obey the word. Get the difference. They heard the word. In other words, they sat in Brian Baptist Church every Sunday, but they never did what God taught them to do in the Bible. Or we could say in our subject, they never built their home the way God said to build it. They never structured their marriage the way God said to structure it. And one day the wind came and the rain came and the floods came and the house collapsed. And everybody's like, what happened? I can't understand. They were at church all the time. I mean, I knew them. They worked in Awana. They worked in Sunday school. Where, what happened? Well, the answer was the house was not built on the rock. But the other person built his house on the rock. The same wind, the same rain, the same, all the storms came, but the house stood. Why? Because Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word and obeys the word. So let me say, this is not a purpose. The purpose is to give you information. It is to show you what God's word says so that you may obey it. And so that we may correct our behavior. We may correct our structures based on the word of God. Now, if I'm not, if I'm not telling you the word of God, then you can just say, well, it's just his opinion. But if we're looking at the Bible and this is what God's word says, then it deserves to be heard and it deserves to be obeyed. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, if you would please, we're going to start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. There is a principle in studying the Bible called the law of first mention. The law of first mention says that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it is very important. It has extra weight, and therefore, we should pay attention. That was just my water I knocked over. Uh, we should pay attention to what it said. So, first of all, we're going to look on the creation of man. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, here's what God said. And God said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. Let, it, let them have dominion. Notice that word. I served it in my Bible. They are to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him both, what? Male and female. It was not Adam and Steve, it was Adam and Eve. And it is not, there, there's no wiggle room there, folks. Uh, to, to choose something different than God created is a, an offense to God and a, a, a mocking of God's wisdom. Did God make mistakes? God does not make mistakes. So God, the man was created in the image of God, and he was created to have dominion. That means, now listen carefully, the word dominion means to rule, to subjugate, to dominate. Ooh, man was supposed to do all those things, all the, the creation, the animals, all that. That was the rule that was God was given to man. He created male and female. Look in verse 28. Verse 20 said, and God blessed them. The Lord said unto them, be fruitful. And multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and everything that liveth, uh, that moveth upon the earth. 
So man again was given the responsibility of having dominion, ruling over the creation. That was the role that God gave. Two things, replenish the earth, reproduce, replenish the earth, and to have dominion over the creation. Now, God provided man necessary food, verse 29, same chapter. And the Lord God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing uh, seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. Now, if you would look over in chapter 2 and verse 9, just so I want you to give one point here. Look at verse 9, chapter 2. Out of the ground, God made the Lord, the Lord God made for every tree that is, the two words, pleasant to the sight and good for the food. Now, mark that in your brain. The, the food that God provided was pleasant to the sight and good for the food. Now, we'll see that again next week. So just remember what that is. And the, out of the tree of the life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God provided man his necessary food. He provided him a beautiful place. Uh, he provided him things to do. He did not leave man to sit down, sit under a tree. He provided work for man. Note if you, if you would, in, in again, chapter 2 and verse 15. It said, And the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Dress it and keep it. That is work and take charge. In other words, man was given work to do. It is, it is part of God's plan that man work. Not that we sit around, but that we work. That's part of the way God made us. That is part of the, the creation of man. Part of the thing that's built in to man's culture. So the Bible commands that man work and that he create that he is uh, takes charge and that he keeps he keeps it. Notice in verse sixteen of the same chapter, the abundant provision that God makes. Chapter two, verse sixteen, and the Lord God commanded, saying, "Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat." We can only imagine what the, what the garden must have looked like. Think of all the beautiful trees and all the beautiful things, the fruit, the, all the things that God... God provided man everything that he needed except for one thing. And so man is placed in the garden. Now he puts a minor restriction on man. Verse 17. And of the tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So here in this beautiful garden, God put a tree. Ask yourself the question, why did God put a tree there? That he told them, don't eat of it. All the other trees, every tree in the garden is yours. It's, it's, free, it's open. Um, sometimes, as a believer, we feel that the things that God says are restrictive. And we focus so much on the fact that there are things that God forbids for us that we don't see everything that God has provided. Do you get what I just said? It's easy sometimes to focus on the things that God says we can't do and forget about the multiplied things that we can do, the things we can enjoy. And so in this case, everything around them was beautiful. Everything they needed was there. It was a beautiful, wonderful place. All the needs were met except for one thing. Don't eat of that tree. It was a light, a light restriction. And then we see man's need. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. 
And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help me for him. Remember when God made the sun and the stars, he said, what, what did he say? It is good. It's good. When God made the trees, God said, it is good. When God made the birds and the animals and all that stuff, God said, it is But when God made man, he said, it is not good that man should live alone. Now, here's the question. I said, ask yourself questions. Did God make a mistake? Of course not. God doesn't make mistakes. But that's a good question to ask. Why did God not provide a woman at the same time that he made man? By the way, God made man first, right? And there was a period of time. We don't know how long it was. But God's plan is always amazing. You know, God is such an amazing God. And sometimes we reply against God or we don't understand. But I'm telling you, when you look at God's work, you understand it. Look at this. Here's God's plan. Look at verse uh, verse 20. Uh, this, this is chapter uh, 2, verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. It means a helper suitable for him. Now, here's Adam. All the animals are parading in front of him. He gives them all names. So first of all, was Adam intelligent? Was he smart? Was he a capable person? The answer is, of course he was. Now, why, the question, why did God have Adam name all the animals? Well, at the end of the day, after he made all the animals, he said, you know, there's an elephant, there's a lion, there's a monkey, and there's nobody suitable for me. God made Adam aware of his need. First step in God's plan is God saw Adam, made Adam re- realize that, the, that he was not all that he should be. That there was nothing in that whole list of people, in that list of animals. So, God made woman. Now look. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto man. Now, second question. Why did God make woman from a rib of Adam? Why not make her out of the dirt? That's what he made Adam out of, right? Or God could have spoken. God could have said, woman, and there would have been a woman. But that's not what God did. Now understand, God is ultimately wise. So what is God doing? Why take a rib, and you know, people have made fun of that. They, you know, but let me tell you something. God does not make mistakes. So he took that rib out of man, and he, out of that rib, made a woman. The next thing you see is this. God brought her to Adam. Adam did not find Eve running through the woods after her. Adam did not look on the internet. Adam did not join a singles group. It's a good thing because there's no singles group back in those days. But God brought her to Adam. 
Now, I want you to notice, when God brought her to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now do you see why God made Eve out of a rib and not out of dirt? Probably the closest thing to this, uh, we just had a great-grandson, as you know. And uh, my, my grandson, Robbie, and his wife had a baby. And I just read today, they had a picture of the baby, of course, you know about it. If you ever had, had children, do you remember the first time you looked at that child after it was born? And you said, that's me. And that's her. And together, we made this creature. And he said, Robbie said today, he said, and I can't tell you how much we love this little boy already. So look, Adam finds this beautiful woman that God brought to him, but it was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So now we see why God used the rib. It was part of him. So when Adam saw that woman, he said, man, there's nobody in the world for you but me. And nobody in the world for me but you. So God has created this first marriage, this first union out of the need of a man, a perfect provision which God provided and God brought her to man and God made the perfect mate for him to be and help me for him. Now understand this, ladies. A woman's responsibility is to be a companion and a helper. It's not good for man to be alone, God said. God knows what he's talking about. And therefore, I will make an helper suitable for him. So a woman's task, and we'll deal with this much more as we go along, a woman's task is to be a companion and to be a helper. Those things are important to remember as the basis of a good marriage, to support, to help, to be that helper to your husband, to be that companion that he needs. So God created, created woman for man. And then we see the formula for marriage. This formula, by the way, was, was presented again in Matthew 19, verse 5, verse 5. Again in Ephesians 5. So this is the structure for marriage. So if you would look, please, at, at chapter 2. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Three things to leave. The formula for marriage is three parts. First of all, to leave. Last, last Saturday, uh, we had a wedding in Nashville, Tennessee. My daughter, my beautiful daughter, uh, granddaughter rather, my beautiful granddaughter was married to a young Christian man and it was a wonderful thing to, to be there in the wedding and to see them as they begin their married life together and I praise God they both love the Lord and they both want to serve the Lord, praise the Lord for that but at that moment sometimes when I do a wedding I say this, this couple entered into this room as part of two separate families but now leave as one new family in other words the dependence is no longer on mom and dad. The dependence is on each other. The, the, you know, it is okay to ask for, for uh, 
advice, but let me tell you something. The main advice comes from your mate. The more needs, now listen carefully to what I'm saying. The more needs that is met outside the marriage relationship, the weaker the bond. I've had a long experience as a pastor. I've dealt with many, many broken homes. Many, many moral failures. And may I say to you that most moral failures do not begin with a physical relationship. It begins with a friendship. Somebody at work, somebody who listens as I talk, somebody who seems to get me, somebody who shows me attention. Uh, and therefore, that grows and then suddenly goes into, goes into, into something else. But the point of leaving to, to realize that those relationships, you know, we say in the marriage, the marriage contract as we, as we do the marriage, to keep you only under this woman so long as you both shall live. In other words, that is God's plan. And, and moral failure, divorce is a horrible thing. It was never the way God planned it to be. But the word leaving means that I leave all dependence on my family, on anybody else, and depend on my mate for everything that I need. And remember, the more things that are met outside of marriage, the weaker the bond of marriage. And then to cleave. Absolute dependence and commitment. Uh, my father uh, was a wise man. He was 21, my mom was 17 when they got married. And my dad told my mom, if you ever leave me, I'm going to leave and go with you. Well, that's not bad. And by the way, that marriage lasted over 60 years. And uh, they, they were much in love as they were when they, my dad passed as they were when they were young. Probably a lot more in love. So the idea of cleaving, to, to commit to one another. The, the very word that's used for love in the New Testament, the strongest word, the word agape, agape love, means a commitment. Husbands, love your wives. That's the word. In other words, be committed. It is a commitment. So that marriage standard is to be committed to one another. Uh, the word divorce or I'm going to leave should never utter, should never come out of your mouth because we made a commitment to each other. To whatever we, and here's the thing, let me, let me say it this way. If you break up your home, you take your problems with you. You haven't solved them. So you go to the next marriage and you have all the same problems because you didn't solve them the first time. So in the marriage relationship, there is an opportunity, listen, to grow and, and, and to grow and develop. A man who is married will never become the man that God wants him to be outside of God's pattern for marriage. A man will never become the man that God intended him to be unless he accepts his responsibility, which we will outline in a few weeks, and, and becomes the man of God that God intended him to be. And secondly, a woman will never become the woman that God intends her to be unless she is, is as a married person, a married woman, unless she's willing to follow God's plan and do it God's way. It'll, you'll never become what you should be. So therefore, the, the cultural things that have messed up this picture of marriage have, have led to all kinds of wrong ideas also hinder you ever becoming the kind of person and the kind of Christian God wants you to be. And then God says, so you leave, you cleave, and you become one flesh. There's obviously in this passage a physical union. But it's more than that. It's a spiritual union. 
It's a practical union. It's a directional union. In other words, the home, we should be going in the same direction. We should have the same goals. Uh, we should set about, when we, we start to rear our children, it is so important that we're not pulling against each other uh, in, the, in the, the discipline of our children, uh, in, in how we rear our children, how we teach our children, the goals we have. And by the way, just as Lot lost his entire family except for his two daughters, so sometimes you can lose your whole family because of not being willing to develop that oneness that God wants you to have, that, u- that unity. Uh, my wife and I have been married 57 years now, and it's scary. We almost sometimes read each other's mind. That is really scary. You know, she'll say, do you want so-and-so to eat? And I say, I'm just thinking about that. And I go, oh, my goodness, what happened? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's amazing, isn't it, how God can take two people so different. My wife grew up on a farm in New Jersey. I, I'm a city boy from Florida. Now, there's a lot of conflict right there. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and, you know, I love stuff. and My wife loved different stuff. And she cooked real plainly where she grew up. And we fried everything, bacon grease. You know, all those kind of things. But, you know, after 57 years, we worked most of those things out. And what we had didn't work out, we decided just to overlook it. So this, this oneness, this physical union, the spiritual union, having the same goals, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the roles God assigned to the home, but having the same spiritual goals. The husband should want, in Ephesians 5, we'll talk about it, the husband should want his wife to grow spiritually and help her and do everything he can to help her do that. And she should be concerned about him so that he can lead like he should and become the man he needs to be. All of God's plan works perfectly the way it should as long as we're willing to submit ourselves and do what God said to do. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the first attack on the marriage. By the way, if you do your, your homework on your study sheet, it's in chapter 3. And, you, and I, listen, every, every detail is important. So as you read those brief passages of Scripture, look at every detail and ask yourself why. The questions are there. Answer the questions. And come next week prepared to say, oh, I know what that is. And uh, let, let, learn, learn in, the, in these weeks to study the scriptures for yourself. If, if nothing else happens, if, if you've just learned to love and to study the scriptures on your own, it will, it will have been very successful. I appreciate your, your listening. I would really, I don't know, I, I thought about all of you moving in the middle, but I'm not sure the middle will even accomplish all of you, so thank you for coming. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pray in a moment, and uh, by the way, I did good. I'll let you up by six thirty. I'm imp- I'm impressing myself. Um, you never know <laughs> when you preach how long it's gonna take. But uh, the, I'm not promising it'll be that short every week. But uh, we'll we'll uh, next week we'll talk about the first attack on marriage in uh, Genesis chapter two. Father, thank you so much for your word. You're a mighty and magnificent God who doesn't make mistakes. And Lord, we thank you for your word that you've committed to us in writing that we can read it and we can see your wisdom and we can understand a little bit of how you orchestrated our lives, how you planned our homes. I pray that, Lord, you would use me in a significant way to help our folk. Thank you for the number who come tonight and listen so carefully to what I've had to say. I pray that, Lord, you would use the word of God as I preach it and teach it to help people understand more clearly 
uh, what you've said about marriage and about the home. Lord, bless us, use us this week, and may our time study be good. Uh, help us to our families to grow close together and to be willing to honor you in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mike's going to dismiss us with a song. We're going to spend this summer, the closing hymn time, using it to be reacquainted with a couple of hymns, uh, specifically on the home. So kind of like our hymn of the month, but focused specifically on uh, the Christian home, the biblical home. Let's sing tonight, 553, Lord bless our home, uh, verse number one together. Let's stand together as we sing. all around us are wing every day yielding to the enemy and throwing life away bind our hearts together guard us with your truth when the struggle seems too great or Good night.